I am, I'm on the board for this, this ministry, this, this uh, ministry event called the Day of Hope. And it's on December 2nd this year. And right now, currently, we have over 1,400 people registered for this event. 1,400 people will come to the, the Rock of Casey. It's a church not too far from here. They will come through as families. They will get, uh, they'll get loved on, for one. I mean, that's the most important thing. They're going to get uh, gifts like balls and board games, and uh, they're going to get um, books. They're going to get food. Every single person will get a coat that needs a coat. They'll get socks and underwear, things that we kind of take for granted. They're, every family will get a blanket. Some of these blankets are handmade by uh, some ladies from a different church here in town. And it is an incredible event, but it's an event that cannot happen without, well, obviously without the Lord being a part of it, but without volunteers being there to welcome these guests that come and we bless them that day and so this started out just as an idea between the lady that's the director of the health department here in Platte County and another pastor and it has grown into this huge event that we do once a year and so if you right off the bat you say this is something you'd be interested in being involved in because it just like just raise your hand if you think yeah that'd be all right you all just signed up as volunteers that's awesome what you do is you go out and you pick one of these folders up on the, on the desk out, or the table outside. You look, you open it up, and right on the inside it says volunteer registration. You go onto this webpage, and you volunteer. It'll give you several different things you can do while you're there. If you want to take a family and walk with them all the way through getting all of their stuff, the last thing they get when they leave is a box of food and a, and a certificate to get a free ham from Farmland Foods. And if you want to walk with this family, you can do that. If you want to just hand out certain things to go along with that, that would be great too. But listen, I, be, I believe this is part of who we are as a church. And this is, one, this is a mission trip. There are going to be people from all different cultures coming to this church from all over the world. This is a mission trip for you. And you only have to go about 10 minutes away from here to, to, to interact with those people. And so the church is responsible to love that way. And I want to encourage you to be a part of that. In a couple of weeks, you're going to have, we'll have boxes up here that you can come and take and fill them up with food and bring them back. It's another easy way to be a part of this mission. So that's the day of hope. Hey, if you're going to Peru with us this summer on our mission trip, stand up. Right where you're at. Okay. Okay, good. We've got Avery back there in the back. All right. I mean, there's more, there's more of us that are going. There's some of them that are not here today, but you can go sit down. So you might start seeing in the bulletin opportunities for you to get involved in helping make their trip a reality. Okay, there are some people who can afford just to, to be able to pay to go, and there's other people who are going to need some help. We have a goal as a church of $16,500, and that's just for, to send this group of 11 of us on this, on this journey. Uh, one of the things that's going to happen is, Yesenia, are you here? Where's she at? Did she leave? Oh, she went in the nursery. Yesenia is our adopted daughter and her brother, Paul. They're going to get a chance to go with us, and they're going, to, they're going to get a chance to see their mother again and siblings they've never met. Um, and I'll just, I'll just be bone honest with you. As a family, we're kind of helping make that happen for them, so we need your help making that happen for them. Yesenia's a single mom. She's doing the best she can to raise her little girl. She's doing a good job. And so we want to be able to bless them and send them back. There's going to be, there'll be opportunities to give along the way. They'll have like moments where you have to make payments. And so just another way the church can be the church in far away from here. And thank you for, 
just even considering that. Gabrielle, where are you at? Come on up here real quick. You can bring your precious little one with you if she wants to come. No, she doesn't want to come. That's all right. Joe, you come up too. <laughs> it's going to be real good. If Joe's up here, you know it's going to be good. All right. Well, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. I know I, know I was going to put you on the spot a little bit, but, but, but just tell us, tell us who you are and why you're here this morning. Um, my name is Gabrielle, and I was in the Hillcrest program, and I graduated Tuesday, and Joe was my budget counselor, and the church sponsored the apartment that I was staying in. So I just wanted to say thank you guys um, for the time and money and just love and all that. So where are you, where are you going next? I will be in the North Kansas City area, um, around the corner from my job. So that's where I'm going to be. Yeah, awesome. And she has a, uh, a precious, precious daughter, Nevea. Um, and it's, it's all right. We don't put her on the spot. But um, so here's, here's the thing. There's a ministry called Hillcrest Transitional Housing, and they welcome people in um, to these apartments that are fully furnished and fully paid for by the body of Christ and by individuals and organizations that help make this happen. They get about three months to, to save money um, and guys like Joe walk with them weekly um, to help them kind of figure out their budget and how to, how to make some priorities, maybe how to save some money here and how to pay off, some, were you able to pay off some debt? How much were you able to pay off? Um, only 300 and something, but I wasn't working the whole program. I worked for the school district, so I had to wait for school to start back up. Right. And the way they get paid is a little bit different. Yeah. So. Okay. But so you had an opportunity to, to pay down some debt, uh, get reestablished, get back on her feet. And now she's going to go living in her own apartment. And the church is part of helping make that happen too. Um, our plan is to help her with a with a gift um, so that when she goes, she's not leaving empty-handed. But the most important part about that, this whole ministry is the relationships, really. And so maybe in the future you'll hear of another Gabrielle or someone else like her that's moving into this apartment that we sponsor, and you say, I might want to be that front line. I want to be that face. I want to take her a meal or take her out for coffee. or, or what. I always say her because a lot of times it is uh, females, but there are some guys that have been in the program too. So uh, that's just a, this is a beautiful face that goes along with the name, the Hillcrest uh, Transitional Housing, and, and Joe is the beautiful face too. Yeah. And, don't forget that. All right, so why don't we just give it up for, let's pray for her. Joe, I'm going to ask you to pray for her as she transitions into the next part of life. Dear Heavenly Father, um, what a blessing. What a blessing when Hillcrest contacted me and said, would you be a budget counselor for a young lady with a beautiful little daughter? And... Mm. I went, oh boy. <laughs> but I took it on, and I tell you what, it, it has really blessed me. It has really made a difference in me and my wife's life. Uh, Gabby and Nevaeh has been just, they've just been everything. And we're, we're excited about them graduating and leaving. We're sad that they're leaving the area, but she promised me that she would stay in touch. So God please make her stay in touch please bless her and give her the things she needs to survive in your name amen amen all right give it up for her thank you
So we've, we've been talking the last few weeks about King David. And last week we looked at an interesting way to, to pray. And we talked about praying through the senses. And we talked about David uh, having a heart for God. Like he was a man after God's own heart. And, and you, if you read the, the story of, of David, if you start in 1 Samuel and go all the way through 2 Samuel, you'll see some incredible stories. You'll see a lot of really, really good things about David. And, and today, we're going we're gonna to also realize that David was a lot like you and me. He was very human. And I, hopefully that gives, you some, uh, that gives you a little bit of peace in your heart to realize that David, just like us, we, we all have the, the propensity to, to fail, <laughs> Every single one of us. And God's never-ending reckless love <laughs> pursues us. And he never stops pursuing us. It's pretty amazing. In 2 Samuel chapter 8, uh, 15, it says that, that David reigned over all Israel doing what was just and right for all of his people. And that's a pretty good description of David. What was just and right for all of his people. I think if you, if you really looked in and saw David's heart, that's what you would see. Yeah, you would see some sin too, and we'll talk about that. But you would see this goodness that he has for all people. And then, then in 2 Samuel chapter 9, if you just wanted to read a cool story just like this, it's almost like it's taken out of this, this passage, and it's just a beautiful story of, of a picture of David's heart where he... He, he, uh, looked, he wanted to find out if there's anybody from Jonathan's family he could still bless. And, and he found out that Jonathan, who was the son of Saul, who was a really good friend to David, Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. All right? Why would you do that to your kid? I mean, seriously. I mean, like, he's already got two strikes against him. He's not even got any in the school yet, and he's got to come up with the spelling for this name, all right? And how do you even... <laughs> listen, listen to what I did. I got on my phone, and I, and I asked, uh, so, like, Siri, uh, tell me about Mephibosheth, all right? And here's what I got. Here is some information about your favorite chef. <laughs> no, no, Siri. <laughs> Tell me about David and Mephibosheth. Here is, some, here is a website for my fibbage chef. My fibbage chef. I'm not sure what kind of chef that is, all right? A chef that lies, I guess. I don't know. and tells you that the food is something, but it's not. And then the last one was Murphy of a chef. I don't even know where that came from, but I thought that was kind of funny. But I did, I did a little bit of research. I went back to 2 Samuel 4.4, 4, and it says that... Um, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, when they found out that Saul and Jonathan both had died in battle. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, she dropped him. He fell and became crippled. His name was Mephibosheth. And that's kind of the like his background story, if you will. And in 2 Samuel chapter 9, David extends grace to him. I mean, in that culture and in the biblical culture, if you were a person who was paralyzed like that, you were just kind of like an outcast. There is something wrong with you. 
And there wasn't, there wasn't a, an American Disabilities Act in place for people like that. It's just you, you just barely survived. But I, I just love the grace of God in this story when David brings Mephibosheth to his home and says, from now on, you will eat at the king's table. Listen, there's a whole sermon in that, that this line right there. You, are, you walked in here crippled today. And God extends grace to you and says, welcome to my table. You can eat from my table every day if you want to. That is his grace in that, in that story. And that, that's not even, that's, like I said, that's a, that's a sermon for another day. But it's a beautiful, beautiful passage of scripture. Today, we're going to look at, we're going to look at a hard topic. This, this topic is, um, people are going to be crying, Jessa. I know, they're going to be crying when, they, when I tell them. It's repentance and restoration. The restoration is the good part. <laughs> the repentance piece is the hard part. I wanted you to, to sit up close because I wanted to try to have some dialogue today. And I, and I want you to participate, okay? I want you to, to give me your takeaways. I'm going to read quite a bit of scripture, and then I'm gonna, I want to hear from you. I want, and I've got some ideas and some thoughts, obviously. Um, but so far, we've had this incredible picture of David. But. <laughs> That's kind of the word for the day, but. We soon discover that he is human like you and me. It's a, little, it's a little discouraging. I mean, like he's my hero. Like, man, this guy killed a nine-foot human being with a stone and a sling. He was chosen as, to be king at a young age. He, he would use his music to soothe the soul of Saul. He not only was good-looking, but he was talented and athletic. He was the real deal. He was like, ladies, he was the complete package. He was Jake's or Ashley's Jake, you know. He was Jimmy's, Steph, or the Stephanie to Jimmy, or Jimmy to Stephanie. Like, that's, that's who they were. That's who he was. I know Stephanie's confused you with King David many, many times. <laughs> but I'm going to read this story, and then let's, let's talk about um, a few of the things that we can take away from it, all right? And I'm going to do it without my glasses because this is a really small Bible. But I love this Bible because this is my mission trip Bible. This Bible's been all over the world. And it's got a really cool um, KU sticker or tape holding it together, all right? Rock Chalk Jayhawk this afternoon. A little plug there. EMIs. <laughs> all right, enough of that. Get that person out of here. Where are they? Security. <laughs> I, don't, I can't really even see you with my glasses. I know who you are, but I really can't see you. I know your voice. <laughs> Second Samuel chapter eleven. So if you want to, if you want to just go along, Second Samuel chapter eleven. All right, a lot of scripture. You ready? In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war. David sent Joab, who, by the way, was a really incredible character in this story. Sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. 
But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof of the palace, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. Why? Because he's the king. <laughs> the king can do whatever he wants. Doesn't mean that he should, but he could. The man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Yes, exactly. And then David sent messengers to her, and she came to him, and he slept with her. And it said that she had purified herself from her uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was, how the soldiers were and how the war was going. And then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. David is setting Uriah up. He's wanting Uriah to go home and and to be with his wife. But it says Uriah slept at the entrance of the palace with all of his master's servants and did not go down to his house. I'm sure Bathsheba was confused why the flowers and the chocolates showed up, but there was nobody to go with it, you know. What's going on? When David was told Uriah did not go home, he asked him, haven't you just come from a distance? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents and my master Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open fields. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, stay here one more day and tomorrow I will send you back. And so Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him and David made him drunk. But... In the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is the fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he'll be struck down and die. So while Joab and the, and had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Joab sent David a full account of the battle. He instructed the messenger, when you have finished giving the king this account of the battle, the king's anger may flare up and he may ask you, why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you know that they would shoot arrows from the wall? He said, who killed Abimelech, son of Jerob Besheth? Didn't a woman throw an upper millstone on him from, the, from up above the wall and then he died? In Thebes, why did you get so close to the wall? And if he asks you this, then say to him also, oh, by the way, <laughs> Uriah the Hittite is dead. The messenger set out, and when he arrived, he told David everything that Joab had sent him to say. The messenger said to David, the men overpowered us and came against us in an open, but we drove them back to the entrance of the city gate. And then the archers shot arrows at their servants from the wall, and some of the king's men died. Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. David told the messenger, say this to Joab, don't let this upset you. 
I love this. Oh, well, it happens. Stuff happens, right? He says, the sword devours um, one as well as another. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. But Uriah's wife heard her husband was dead. She mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house and she became his wife. You know, because he had to do the right thing, right? Like, because he was the king. He had to do the right thing. And it says, and she bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. That's an understatement. The Lord sent Nathan to David. Now, there's some accountability coming into David's life. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man restrained or refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had came to him. That's just not right. <laughs> just not right. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, and this word's not in here, but I'm going to add it. But, David, you are the man. Not like in a good way. <laughs> but you are the man. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you a master's house, the master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity upon you. And if you read the rest of David's story, you'll see it's true. Before your eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, the most honest thing David said so far, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. But, but, because, um, but by doing this, you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt. The son born to you will die. So let's, Think about the characters. Who's the, who are the characters in this story? Right? Who are they? Who are they? David. We got Nathan. Bathsheba. Uriah, right? Joab. He was the, uh, the leader of the army. 
You got some characters that don't play huge roles, but there's the messengers, there's the elders who had come to David. You know, they came and they, they ministered to David here in just a little bit while he's grieving the loss of his son. Uh, the Lord, yeah, <laughs> boom, the Lord, he's there. Uh, huh? I started with Mephibosheth, yeah, he was kind of before all this happened. And then we had Solomon who comes, I didn't even get to this part, but at the end when Bathsheba comes to David and they, they do get, they're married and they have another son. The son she happens to deliver is a son named Solomon, who is a pretty big deal. <laughs> and that's good, that's good to know because we'll get to this uh, takeaway from the story. Because um, even in the midst of really bad situations, God can turn it to good. And he usually does. And then you have um, the servants who are ministering there. And so those are some of the characters from the story. Um, so here's some Q&A, Q&A real quick. And I've always asked this question, and, and it really kind of made a little bit more sense to me um, just while I was studying this. But sometimes people want to know, why didn't David go to war? It's like the coach not showing up at the game. You know? It, it's like, hey, wait a minute, you're kind of a big, you're an important part of this. Like, this is your game plan. Where are you at? So why didn't David go? We don't really know the answer to the question. You can come up with all kinds of thoughts and ideas of why it wasn't. It says this, the, it was the time where kings went to war. It doesn't necessarily mean David had to go, but he was the king. I mean, I guess he was like sending out people to war. There's nothing that says he really needed to be there, but I was just wondering why wasn't David there with his men? That's a good lesson for us. When we're not where we're supposed to be, <laughs> Big red flag. When we're not where we're supposed to be and when we're somewhere where we're not supposed to be. Um, do you think this was the first time David ever saw Bathsheba? Do you ever wonder that? you ever wonder like, David maybe kind of knew. <laughs> he kind of knew her schedule. Or he just at least had a good vantage point because he had the highest place in the city. So he just, he was in a position to be able to, to see. Maybe, maybe it was the first time. Maybe, let's just give David a break. Maybe he wasn't, he wasn't out there on purpose. He just happened to walk out there. He's like, it caught his eye. Um, it's usually the second look that kills you, by the way. <laughs> Not the first. <laughs> and so David uses his power. And he... Um, he took advantage of this person. What do you think should have happened to both of them in this culture? Do you know what should have happened to both of them? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they should have been taken outside the city and they should have both been stoned to death. That was the, talk about some serious law. <laughs> you know, the king, listen, no matter how, powerful you are in whatever position you hold you're not exempt from the Lord's um, law <laughs> and from his desire for you to be obedient as a pastor I'm not exempt I'm not I'm not exempt from sin <laughs> like it's matter of fact it's even the, the spotlight's probably a little bit brighter Um, can you place any of the blame on Bathsheba? 
I'm not, I'm not being sexist or anything like that, by the way. I'm not, I'm not, I'm just like, have you ever thought about that? Is it, what would, I guess what would have happened if she would have said no? Yeah, she probably, she could have been killed or exiled or whatever. You know, I'm sure she felt like she didn't really have much of a choice. The king, it's like kids, Lauren, when your dad says something, do you listen to him? Sometimes, yeah, she's honest. I love that. Sometimes, most of the time, not every time, all right? Um, she could have said, you know what? This is wrong in God's eyes. Um, I'm going to honor him. Like, we don't know Bathsheba's faith background. We don't know where she was as far as her relationship with the Lord. But uh, she could have said, you know what? I'm going to take my chances. I'm just going to say no. And then I'm going to let the law do whatever it needs to do. But I'm going to, in my own conscience, I know this is the right thing to do. How about, uh, what do you learn from Uriah's character? Loyalty, yeah, right? He was, he had a lot of integrity. He had a lot more self-control than most people that I know, (laughs) you know. Like he could have said, hey, this is a great opportunity. So sorry for the rest of my guys back home, but the king said I could, I'm here and I could go be with my wife. So I'm gonna go be with my wife. I think there's a real contrast between his character and David's character at this particular moment in the story. You see Uriah, he's like, as long as you live, I will, sure, I will never do this. I will always honor you as the king. So, Interesting, interesting thought out of this story. You know where David's angry about the, the, the sheep that was taken from this family, and he said, I will make them pay four times over. Do you realize that later in David's life, a total of four of his sons died um, untimely deaths? It was almost like he brought this curse <laughs> upon himself like he, he little did he know like he he thought hey this gonna this we're gonna punish this guy but he was actually punishing himself four times there's a four times over judgment that he experienced I thought that was kind of interesting but you know at the end of this this story David is repentant it's not like he ever got to the place where he wasn't sorry for what he had done. And I think um, it's a good, obviously it's a good lesson for all of us. Look, real quick, if you um, turn in your Bible to Psalm 51. This is David's kind of written Apology to the Lord. (laughs) And he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. And against you and you only have I sinned. And I've done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and justify when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. 
And surely you desire the truth in the inner parts, and you teach me wisdom in my inmost place. He says, cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. He says, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. And then it says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Amen, right? Create in me a pure heart, O God. Do you know that uh, as I was reading that, passage out of 2 Samuel, all of the butts that were in there. Do you know there's another huge one in Romans chapter 6 where it says that the wages of sin is death. And we see a clear picture of that in David's story. Even after David repented, there's still consequences for his sin. It's like he didn't get away with it. And that's a, it's a huge takeaway. You, you're not going to get away with it. You just won't. Because that's one of the takeaways today. It'll always find you out. Secret sin will always find you out. And David, David obviously went to great lengths to keep this a secret. And he had the power to do it. And he did pretty well. <laughs> But the one thing that he didn't remember is that God sees the whole thing played out in front of him. So it says that the wages of sin is death, and we know that's true. Every single one of us have experienced it somehow, somewhere in our own life. And if we could write out our own repentance story in our own letter and read it, we would all have something to say, every single one of us, every single one of us. And it might not be David's sin, but it is still a sin. And the wages of sin is death, but, this is the good part, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, David could only dream about what Jesus accomplished (laughs) and think about it and write psalms about it, but he didn't get to experience it. We get to be on the other end of this incredible gift of grace and mercy, the other end of the cross. And we know that it's true that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we can be forgiven because the Bible says if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Do you know that? All unrighteousness none of you have out sinned David (laughs) none of you but yet God still redeemed David's life he still redeems your life and that's that's super good news (laughs) so here's a few takeaways and uh we got a few few minutes left I'm going to ask you what it what, do you, what, have, what have you learned so far? What is your takeaway from this story? Maybe something you've learned in the past because you probably studied it before, heard the story before. What, what is God speaking to you about? 
in this particular story. So this requires you to be a little vulnerable. There's always consequences for sin, right? There, there all, that always is a, is a Greek word that means always. <laughs> Mm-mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We want to see the other person suffer for their sin. We want to see the wages of their sin <laughs> being death. But uh, yeah. But in Romans chapter twelve, it says, "Vengeance is mine," says the Lord. <laughs> like God gets the final word. Ooh. Disobedient when everything's going great. Yeah. Right. Yeah, when we get humbled, when we fall on our knees, <laughs> you cannot out sin grace either. That's true. That's good. Ooh. Yeah. Certainly glad that God can use imperfect people. Yeah, I wouldn't be standing here if that wasn't the case. Yes. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, we don't, we don't see the enemy at work. I mean, we can look back and see it, but they didn't see it at the time. And one of the scenes from the movie, um, The uh, Passion of the Christ, the Mel Gibson movie, you saw that. It was a pretty um, powerful video or movie or whatever. In that story, one of the things I, that I thought was really powerful is, was the character that played Satan was just kind of like walking among the people. And it's like, his presence was there and nobody even noticed it. Like they were so focused on what was going on, they didn't even realize he was there. Um, I think that's pretty powerful. Well, let's finish up with this. The worship team, why don't you guys go ahead and come on up. So the um, few things that we take away. For one, your secret sin will always find you out. Two, God will forgive anyone who repents. Anyone, always. Because it says, if you confess, then he is faithful and just. If and then. Three, sin consequences remain even when sin is forgiven. It's just reality. Like we, yeah, I mean, some of you know my story. I had an adulterous affair and my precious little girl grew up without her mom and dad being together that consequence still remains still remains but I've been forgiven for a really long time but it still remains and the last God can work even in the most difficult circumstances and you see the way he redeems this story like as bad as we want to try to mess it all up God's like I got this (laughs) I mean, I'm going to let you choose, but I got this. I got a plan. I got a purpose. I'm working out my plan. There's a guy named Solomon who's incredibly wise, who's going to write a lot of the Bible, you know, and he's going to, he's going to build a temple for me. It's going to be amazing. And it came out of this 
Now the son out of the relationship with Bathsheba, the first one died, but then Solomon comes along and God does something amazing through it. And so even in the most difficult circumstances, whatever it is that you've walked in here with, God can take that and turn it into something beautiful. Turn it into something beautiful. But you have to give it to him. <laughs> you have to give it to him. So let's pray and then we'll worship together. So God, thank you for loving us in spite of who we are and what it is that we've done. We thank you for that picture in David's life, how faithful you were to him even when he was not walking in obedience to you. And that's a lesson for all of us today. But God, I pray we would walk out of here today with the desire to honor you, the true and righteous king in every area of our life. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you um, want or need prayer for anything, just you can come forward and, and, uh, and we'll pray with you. Um, one of the things we're going to do before we leave today, after the song is over, uh, anybody that wants to, that wants to stay around and pray, we're going to pray for Vicky. If you've, if you've ever been blessed by Vicky's gift on the cello, just give her a hand, all right? Well, tomorrow, Vicky's um, having surgery. She's been diagnosed with breast cancer. She's going through some pretty radical surgery to, 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 to get rid of that. And we're going to pray. Malin's got her hand up. She's like, yes. <laughs> we're going to pray for Vicky as she goes and, into that surgery tomorrow. And so after the song's over, Vicky, why don't you come down? And anybody wants to stay and pray over her. Okay? Amen.